are listening to Four Point Stance Women's Tackle Football Talk on 11 different locations. I'll get more to on that because I do have a new location to add to my growing list of places to get to the show. But directly, you can go to Twitter, follow the show there, join the forum, the number four underscore PT underscore stance, or through my Twitter feed, W34VI1. You can go to Yelfi, the number four PT stance, or W34VI1. Weevil. You can also go to Facebook, Weevil Productions, and hit the official production Facebook page, W34VI1 Productions, and you can see the portfolio and whatnot. If you want to catch the show podcast-wise, you can get on to about nine different locations through Anchor.fm. While it is on Anchor itself, there are still nine other locations that it's also accessible. But that's anchor.fm slash the number four PT stance. But you can also catch Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Or you can go to mixcloud.com and look in the search bar for Point Stance or Coach Ash. It's easy to find the show there. And a uh, little bit of a little breaking news for the show. Um, I am also now on iHeartRadio. So you can go into the podcast area, search put in four point stance it does take a tiny bit to find but yes now i'm officially on iHeartRadio as well so that puts me up to 11 different locations that i am located if you want direct urls please contact me through twitter and i will get you the links and uh we can get you all set up but if you have your favorite podcast location not mentioned before please let me know and we'll get that set up too As a reminder, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline available 24-7 no matter what, 1-800-273-8255. And the Trans Lifeline, also available 24-7 to help you with everything. U.S. number is 877-565-8860. So, we have championship weekends happening. The Title IX Bulls this weekend. Um... Playoffs are happening for WFA. USWFL is going to be waiting until July 13th to do their sh- their championship game. So, But I can at least get them out. They do have a little bit of breaking news league-wise. Uh, Tri-City Thunder announced two hours ago on their Facebook page that they have signed with the Tennessee Titans to return to Nissan Stadium on, and I'm reading this verbatim, on November 10th, 2019 to play after the... T- Titans Chiefs game. Um, they will be selling tickets after the July 13th championship. And if your team wants to compete against them, you can go to their Facebook page, TriCitysThunder at AOL.com. You know, it says on their email us at TriCitysThunder at AOL.com and go from there. Um, it'll be interesting to see who ends up playing them at that time. I know they tried to do it last year. I don't remember it happening because it just either just nothing seemed to work. If it did happen, I don't remember. It was kind of a blur last November. But um, it is cool that they're working with the Tennessee Titans again to try to pull that off. Because yes, yes, that makes for a long day after that game. But um, if assuming that is not a um, late night game, if that is one of the one o'clock games, it's actually not half bad. 
Um, if it is one of the late night games, ugh, that's not going to be great. But pretty sure Tennessee is playing a one o'clock Eastern game, so that's put the whoever Tri Cities takes on about four or five o'clock because they got to do all the tra- changing and stuff like that, and you know, got to get off the field, clean it up, and all that fun stuff. But that will be fun. It'll be interesting to see who ends up playing them for that game. On the WNFC side of things, it is the Title IX Bowl. That is what, I guess this year, I don't know if that's going to be the future name of their championship games, but I know for this year, it is the name of their game. It will be the Utah Falcons taking on Texas Elite Spartans. These two did see each other before. Of course, the website's taking forever to load. I I know that's my internet. That's the problem. (laughs) This is what happens when you live out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, for the Title IX... Excuse me, Title IX Cup. Not the Title IX Bowl, but the Title IX Cup. Um, Yeah, Utah taking on Texas Elite. Now, when you go and look at the matchups between these two, as I said before, these two saw each other, and it ended up going in Texas's favor. It was like 55 to 18. Um, wish I knew all the stats on it, just in the fact that it would be nice to know how it broke down, how many yards of offense, how many yards of defense, instead of just scores. But um, the WNFC does not keep full stats. We may see points for, points against, and all this stuff, but uh, we're not seeing anything in the sense of yardage. Nobody even kept track of touchdowns or any of that. Um, So hopefully next year they figure that out because it would be nice. I'd like to be able to break them down like I break down the WFA and give a lot more of an in-detailed description and not have to base it off of... I mean, I can base it off of video, but, you know, there's still other people. It's a little easier to base it off of stuff when you have stats to work with because you need tangible things. When these two saw each other, it was April 27th. And as I said before, it was 55 to 18 Texas. So it is going to be interesting to see if this will improve any differently. Um, Texas is at a disadvantage in the fact that they are in a mile-high stadium. But it didn't affect them last year when they took on Utah in the uh, Best of the West game. They ended up taking that victory. It was a close game, so hopefully it's the same that way. But um, also hopefully that they've got the whole streaming thing figured out. Um, I don't know who is broadcasting. I don't know if it's... I don't recall who's broadcasting that game. I don't know if it's San Diego Rebellion handling it or if they've got somebody else um, or if Adidas and uh, Rydell are stepping up to help. Um, But... Hopefully they've got the the visual part of it figured out because they had a hard time in Vegas because of the heat and well the thunderstorm so that kind of took care of all the things but um we'll see how that plays out. Utah is used to a mile high facility in the sense that Salt Lake is a very high elevation so that does put them at an advantage 
Um, but that also didn't mean jack squat, considering Texas Elite did did kind of hand it to him. Yes, Utah was at Texas, so well, when they saw each other, but. Um, I still think Utah has a slight advantage being in the Colorado School of Mines field, but it, this is a tough call. It really is a tough call because, to be fair, considering how secretive this league has been going, it's really hard, difficult to say. It really is. So, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out kind of in the long run. The other women's tackle football that's taking place this weekend will be pretty much the second round, in some cases the first round for some teams, or for two teams at least, of playoffs. As we find out who will then be taking each other on in Colorado on the 13th. For those of you that may not be aware, yes... WNFC has the Colorado School of Mines this weekend, and then in two weeks from now, the WFA will have the same facility. So, yeah, that, that's a whole another discussion that I don't want to have right now. But, looking before I get into that, I'm double-checking to see what my other updates are. Not seeing anything, so that works out. Um, DC and Boston taking on each other yet again. That's what he, the only way you could really put it. Yet again, they saw each other in the on the 15th. It was a regular season game. They saw each other April 27th. Boston has the two victories. When they saw each other on April 27th, it was 37-32 Boston. But when they saw each other the 15th, it was 62-32 Boston. Now, stats-wise, all but one game's reported according to the stats. So... This will be interesting going forward. Yeah, I'm not surprised the uh, nothing's updated from there. When you look at based on the majority of the season, it kind of looks like the DC, the last DC Boston game, did not get published, which is depressing. Um, based on that, DC is a primarily passing team. They have 2,391 passing yards to 1,141 rushing yards. And number six is their primary passer. Now, number six is also the third leading rusher, but not by much. So she is a pocket passer. Their leading rusher only has 405 rushing yards, number four. So the next one is only 194, number 28. So, you know, that's it, one of those things that if the defense is giving the proper pressure and the linebackers are paying attention, they have DC's number. Knowing Boston, they have had DC's number this whole time. All of their stats are posted, so this is them, and they're in the same boat. 2136 in passing, 1581 in rushing. There's a little bit more rushing yards there. Their primary passer is number seven, and she does not really rush. She's only rushed for 15 yards, so she is a pocket passer almost entirely. We do com quarterback comparison here. Number seven of Boston, Cowhill uh, is 
158 for 240. That's a 65.8% completion rate. Congildi, Amanda, number six, um, is 118 for 189, 62.4. Looks like the averages are pretty comparable. Boston seems to only average 13.5 yards per pass. DC is 19.4 per pass. So, definitely kind of one of those back and forth games. This is definitely a pocket passing type of game. But that means defenses really have to focus. It explains a lot, a lot why do, these teams do allow other teams to kind of score some notable points. When you look at the points for, points against kind of category here, um, DC has scored 395 total offensive points, but have allowed 216. That tells me that their defense is not quite set up in the way it should be, which explains why, you know, DC could run away with a 62-32 to 32 game. They are reacting, not reading. Whereas Boston being 490 points to 104, their defense is reading a little bit better, but not phenomenally. You know, DC has scored 32 points both times they've seen each other, and that's the highest amount of points Boston has allowed all season. That's 64 points collectively just out of D.C. alone. When you go forward with this game, this is going to be an interesting circumstance. D.C. has not reported any of their penalties, so I'm pretty sure they're pretty comparable to Boston's 41. That's 5.1 per game. It's 36 penalty yards per game, so that's minimal penalties. Looks like little false starts and stuff like that. That's generally how that breaks down. It's false starts and... Maybe an offsides call or two. Um, patience. DC can win this if they're patient, but Boston does have an advantage. It is at Boston. And given how when they saw each other both times, it has not gone for DC's way. Just as many other teams this season have learned, beating a team three times in a row is not easy. So this is Boston's game to lose. I think DC has a good chance, and that's assuming they've taken the time to really break down the film. Having two pocket passing quarterbacks that are fairly accurate, um, and I mean fairly accurate because this is pretty comparable with the men's numbers. 65% is pretty comparable for men's, even in the men's football side. Um, Believe it or not, even Tom Brady is roughly about 68 to 70% accurate. Um, believe it or not, he is. I know uh, Peyton Manning, when he retired, was at 65%. So this is pretty comparable to what the men are doing. Nowhere close to as many plays, but still pretty comparable. Um, you know, looking at Boston, only two interceptions thrown all season. Only two interceptions thrown all season on um, DC. So this is definitely one of those games that they require... A, they focus a lot on those linebackers. So the linebackers have got to play smart, but the, the line has got to give pressure on both sides. Who I think is going to win? Yeah, it's a tough call. Um, I know everybody's going to say Boston, but I think DC could be the upset here and could be representing the East on, or whatever they're calling it, what is it? 
What is, what is that division? The, uh... What is the National Division? Um... Could be representing the National Division. But, this is Boston's game to lose, so you never know. The other Division One game will be between the Arlington Impact and the Cali War. This will be the first ever meeting between these two teams. First ever meeting kind of in general between Arlington and the LA conglomerate. Because mind you, that is made up of former Central Cal War Angels, Los Angeles Warriors, and then they kind of combined to make the Cali War. So this is kind of a a big deal. I don't recall Arlington ever playing Central Cal or LA in the time I've covered. I know in the time I've done the show, it's never, I've never seen it. So breaking these two down, this is going to be a tough one because granted, yes, Cali has the advantage here being the undefeated team and coming pretty much fresh off of the situation from the last playoff game. Um, just kind of as a refresh. They were supposed to play Portland. Portland had to pull out because of injury. Dallas was offered the position. Dallas said no. So Cali moved forward and was waiting for Arlington. Actually, they were waiting for the Arlington-Kansas City game. And they got Arlington. So, didn't exactly go as smoothly as Cali wanted. But, did give them extra time to focus on their playing styles. Now, looking at the stats, only set, let's see, six games reported of seven played. They do not have, do they have their playoff? Nope, they do not have their playoff stuff posted, which is depressing and frustrating because video's up. I do know that much from the exchange, but it is frustrating when the teams do not keep their stats up to date. Now, I've said this before, and I, I, I was actually discussing with somebody about this game. Um, Arlington is known for rushing off tackles. So it requires Cali to contain and wall up. It's a little older school defense. They're going to have to focus a little more, get the linebackers to pay attention, to read and react. The line's going to have to read and react better. Otherwise, Arlington's going to run off the side. They are a primarily rushing team. Based on the six games information, it says six out of seven because one game is a forfeit. So technically seven out of eight games should be up. And there's the playoff game that we're still trying to figure out. Um, based off that, it's primarily a rushing, it says 1,078 yards to 329 passing. It tells me that not everything is posted. There's a lot of yards missing there. Um... When you break it down, their leading rusher is number two. And their quarterback is number eight. She's not exactly the most accurate. She's 14 for 33 at 42.4%, but the running back has 632 yards according to the stats. Um, number two, Gabrielle, is definitely somebody you have to worry about. And it's hard to say when they don't have all the information. Now, granted, when you look through Arlington's season, when they lost to the Energy on April 20th, that was 34 to 14. That was coming off of that big win on Tulsa, which was 50 to nothing. Um, they beat Dallas 34 to seven. But then when they played Houston again 
on June 1st, they beat them 26-24. Even when they took on Kansas City, I was watching this game. This game was definitely, Kansas City definitely was able to hold them, but they just could not hold them long enough. They overcommitted. So Cali has to pay attention, really pay attention to that Kansas City game and realize you can't overcommit. You've got to get the separation. You've got to play smart. As many of the, the Cali players have probably noticed, it is a kind of a speed option kind of game. It's where it's run, 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 and then pass over you. Um, linebackers really have to pay attention and really have to focus on what's going on, but that also requires the defensive secondary to focus on the receiver that they're going against and not looking at the quarterback. As soon as you turn your head away from your receiver, you lose where that individual is, and that's why these players can get certain yardage. You know, looking at Arlington, she only has two interceptions, and her longest is 60 yards. So, that does play a role in things. Um, you know, you got to be careful. But, at the same time, if number two is running off tackle quite easily, especially sweeping to the outside, outside linebackers and defensive ends have to pay attention. Now, when you go to the Cali War side of it, with all their games reported, they are, the scales actually tip the other way. They are primarily a passing team with 1,921 passing yards to 1,094 rushing yards. Now, their quarterback, eight, she has 18 and 35 of the passing yards. She's 88 for 145. She is 60%. Uh, two interceptions, but she's throwing a lot of touchdowns. So she definitely does well, and she's not a mobile quarterback. She is not registered at all on their leading on any of the rushing stuff. So she's in the pocket. If Arlington's defense keeps her in the pocket, that's dangerous. If she is forced outside the pocket, then it might actually play into her. I'm not entirely sure where her two interceptions come came from. I'm wondering if they are from her having to run across or running out of the pocket. But um one thing I kind of wish these stats went into details on quarterback drops, stuff like that, and how it plays out. But this is definitely a difficult game in the sense of, is Arlington going to be able to give the pressure? Now, I don't know if that offensive line on Cali is going to let Arlington do it, but that is something to pay attention to. You know, it's nothing to sneeze at in the sense of the rushing game on Cali is not to be taken lightly. 26 and 10 are the leading rushers, so you really gotta pay attention to how those two are taking off, whether they're off tackle or between the tackles. Really forces the line to pay attention and those linebackers really have to work. But again, because of this 1835, the 60.7% Completion rate, 31 touchdowns from this quarterback from number eight. It's definitely a circumstance that Arlington has to play smart football. If they want to have a chance to score more than 18 points that Kansas City scored on Cali or even get a close game, anything close to this 12-6 victory of Cali over Nevada, 
or take that, take the victory, which would be unheard of for a first time in a while. They've got to play smart football. And trust me, some people know that I am going deep in this because there isn't much to really go onto. Um, and I'll admit, I'm not watching film right now because I've been busy with my own stuff. But that may change come the championship game. Um, you may get a slightly upscale professional level. Not committing to that just yet, but, and I'm not saying exactly what I might be doing, but, um, I'll just say the championship game, I might go all out on it and really break it down. But the winner of this game will represent the American side of the American Conference, and who knows? I mean, really, who knows? Yes, Cali has the advantage because it is at Cali, but based on who Cali has been playing, when you really break down points for, points against, 288, 65, and that's based off of this. If we really want to be technical, there's a lot more to it. Um, 330, 31. Yes, Cali has a stronger defense, but I mean, when you look at who they're going against, the teams that give them the hardest time. Kansas City is a strong offense, does have a pretty strong defense. Nevada seems to have a very strong defense as well. Um, you know, this is Cali's game to lose, so they better be prepared that Arlington has studied the film extensively, and Arlington better be prepared that Cali's not going to go quietly. Cali wants a championship. End of story. They wanted the championship as War Angels. They wanted the championship as the Warriors. They want the championship now. And it's going to be a matter of who wants it more. And Arlington has a lot to have to deal with being at Cali War. For Division 2, we have the Detroit Dark Angels taking on the Pittsburgh Passion. Before I go into this game... Apparently, during the Detroit Dark Angels-Columbus game, some fans located somewhere was unhappy with the way certain coverage got put on the game. And a very well-known sports fan, very well-known fan in our, in our community, Burmy, was actually threatened, sent a threatening letter to his work, anonymously. Now... I personally may not see eye to eye with him, but I will say right now to threaten him to the point where he was going to actually travel to the St. Louis game and now he won't because he is terrified is totally bullshit. How dare you threaten somebody like that because they didn't cover a game the way you wanted them to or didn't say what you wanted them to. I'll say right now, if, as somebody who has been covering women's football, at least through this show for the last three seasons, you know, doing stuff and maybe accidentally getting something wrong is one thing, but to be threatened by it or to be threatened by not mentioning something, I, I will say, knocking on wood, um, I have never dealt with that. And I hope to never deal with that. Now, I don't know for Burmy if what Wisconsin's laws are like. I know in Oregon here, you do that kind of shit to me. I'll hand it off to the OSP, and they'll go through the postmaster and find out who sent it. Or have a time frame, and then they can go from there. But 
we would be able to find who did it. Um, as I said before, I may not personally follow his stuff or, you know, may not personally, like, talk to him. But to find out that somebody within the conglomerate is being threatened in that manner, and you can't even have the gall to put your name on it, says a lot about you. So, I personally think he needs to post the letter, and Detroit Dark Angels and the Columbus Comets can figure out who said it, who sent it. They can, you know, help him out here, and uh, we can find out who this chicken shit bastard was that threatened him because you know you don't threaten people in that way you don't threaten people period you don't like somebody there's a way to unfollow them there's a way to ignore them there's a way to move on with your life but to take the time to research where they worked and send them a threatening letter that is an act of terrorism that is a federal crime and I hope people realize the severity of something like that Now, hopefully, Burmy didn't get anything extra with it, and hopefully he doesn't get anything in the future. But the fact that he has to live now in fear is total bullshit. You've got a problem. Be an adult about it. And talk to him about it. Not sending him threatening stuff. That's kind of my two cents on that whole circumstance. You know, when that popped up yesterday, and I found out through other people... You know, it's it's frustrating because that should not be happening. It should not be happening. And I can't believe somebody would be that ridiculous to threaten somebody who really means no harm. Is he goofy? Yes, he is. But you know, he has a lot of connections. I have I, I have connections. I know Oscar has connections. You know, All of us that cover the sport, we have connections. He's got connections too. So, you know, you're fucking with the wrong community here. So, just kind of want to get that out of there. Um, If you happen to maybe be in the Detroit Columbus Comets area, um, and you might actually know or have heard anything, try to help him out. Um, I haven't seen anything on my side, but... I'm hoping to get more information so I can be like, oh, hey, they found the they found the bastard, you know? Just like we're still dealing with the the theft from uh, Seattle Spartans and Oregon Hawks game, and then come to find out the Seattle Spartans and the Tacoma game had, you know, somebody's car stolen. Like, uh, this season has been a fluster cluck, to put it nicely, um, of weird shit happening, so... That one kind of takes the cake, though. That that really takes the cake. You know, I don't... <laughs> that one's a hard one. <laughs> anyway. With the Detroit Dark Angels moving on from the game against Columbus Comets, they'll be taking on the Pittsburgh Passion. They do have all their regular season stats up. Does not look like, unless it once it loads, if they have their postseason... Nope, nobody has their... looks like nobody has their postseason stats up. Fair enough, I get it. Um, Based off of regular season stuff, because everybody's going to be watching the film anyway of the regular season. When you look at Detroit Dark Angels, they are sitting at 2,900 total yards offense evenly, but they are a rushing team. 2,338 in rushing, but only 562 in passing. Um, 
you know, their leading passer, she's not exactly the most accurate. Number two, 364 yards. It's only 23 for 67. Um, it's 34.3%. You know, 83 sometimes passes, 130 yards. That's 10 for 34. She's 29.4%. It happens. But, you know, number two can run, but she hasn't ran all that much. But the leading rusher is number five with 1,481 rushing yards. And she seems to average 14.2 every time she gets it. That tells me she runs off tackle. Unless she's going against teams that are just that bad blocking up front that she can run in between the, you know, the A gap and the B gap and get many yards. But that's usually those kind of numbers are off tackles. So when you look at Pittsburgh's side of the stats... And they have them all up. Whether or not they have their postseason stuff up. Because they played New York Wolves last week. They do not have their stats up for the postseason game. Which would make sense. They sit at 1,090 rushing yards and 1,704 passing yards. They're a little more even. Their passer, their leading passer is number 82 with 1688. She's 104 for one. 86 to 55.9% passing rating. And but she is also the leading rusher. She is a mobile quarterback. She's 381 rushing yards, averaging 6.4 a game. Um, the next leading rusher is number 34 for them, 338 rushing. She averages 4.9. So this is where it gets interesting. When you look at Detroit's record, their two losses, they lost to Pittsburgh in, on Memorial Day weekend, 35-16. to 16. Then they lost to Columbus Comets the first time, excuse me, the second time they saw them, on June 8th, 40-16, because again, it is difficult to beat the same team three times in a row. It really is. And it seems like this year, two times, two out of the three are going to be one. Doesn't matter by who. Detroit has their two over Columbus. That was that. Now, Pittsburgh, this is a tough battle for them. If Detroit has figured out what they needed to do, they can do it. If their defense is used to a rushing situation, that's not going to help them. They've got to be prepared for a passer, but they've got to be prepared for a mobile passer. With having your leading rusher being your quarterback at the same time means that she can throw across her body. Granted, she does have four interceptions. You know, she does have four interceptions, and Detroit has six. It's not exactly the best, but four, only four interceptions for that many passing yards is pretty good. Um, so let's be let's be honest here. That is pretty good. Um. So the biggest thing is paying patient on the line of scrimmage. That means the linebackers have to be patient and reacting and filling. But the line has to make sure they stay home. And if Detroit can do that, they can overthrow Pittsburgh. But they weren't able to do that on May 25th. So unless they were able to improve from that game, you know, Pittsburgh's only losses are to D.C., DC's a primarily passing team. So that does put a damper in Detroit's advantage here. 
it is at Pittsburgh, so that is going to be in Pittsburgh's favor. Um, you know, and Pittsburgh has beat them, so that does put Pittsburgh at an advantage. But again, it seems like some of these games are too difficult to manage. But when you go by the stat breakdown and just by looking at how these quarterbacks are structured, um, because we don't really can't really go in full detail of defensive stats like I'd like to. This is definitely Pittsburgh's game to lose. Detroit is going to have a very uphill battle. On the other side for Division 2 will be Mile High Blazed taking on St. Louis Slam. This one's going to be interesting. Mile High Blazed's only loss is to Kansas City. St. Louis has beaten everyone they've played, including Kansas City. So this is going to be very interesting. Now, when you break down stats, one game is missing off of Mile High's breakdown. Again, no playoff information. So this is going to be kind of a tough pick. You know, 1,181 rushing yards to 795 passing, so about 2 to 2 to 1 ratio there. And it's not exactly equal. Um, and Mile High has two individuals that can pass. Number one and number 17. Number one is 455 yards. She's 28 for 68 for 41.2%. Eh, it's not great, but not bad. Um, and number 17 is 340 passing yards for 16 for 33. She's 48.5%. The leading rusher, number 35, sits at 437 rushing yards. And... You know, it's definitely, this is actually more of defense. You can tell by the offensive stats, the defense actually gets a lot more done. Um, when you look at their scores, you know, 42 to 6, 75 to nothing, 40 to nothing, 9 to 6, that was definitely a very close defensive game there when they beat Kansas City first time, 40 to nothing, 56 to nothing, and 12 to 63 loss to Kansas City, but when they took on Houston, and I was watching that game, Houston definitely has a strong offense. Now, just looking real quick at Houston's stats, you know, Houston, it was kind of a minimal, their defense did a lot too, you know, it's very minimal in their stats, not everything is reported naturally, but, you know, they definitely got stuff done. Mile high, a lot of these scores are based off of, I mean, the 73-yard takeoff, yes, I understand, 64 takeoff, so it's a lot of off-tackle stuff, but defense is definitely getting a lot more done. So it is very interesting to see how that can play out a little bit for them, but it's definitely a lot of defensive work making up for it. Now when you get to St. Louis, not all games are reported. You know, not surprised. Maybe they have their stats. Nope. They don't have their playoff stats. I'll be shocked if the last four teams have any playoff stats up. But St. Louis, you know, has more of a well-oiled machine. Their closest game of the season would have been when they took on Minnesota last, or two weeks ago, 16-8. to And that was actually a very good game on both teams. Um, 
And again, that was, you know, when they took him on on Memorial Day weekend, it was 31 to 14. But St. Louis is a primarily rushing team, but they are pretty comparable. This is based off of, you know, not all the games are reported, but they're pretty comparable. 1067 rushing, 996 on passing. Um, 977 of that is with number four for passing yards. The leading rusher is number 12 with 552 rushing yards. So, quarterback for St. Louis, she does intercept, throw interceptions a little more often. She has about five. She's only 46.8% in accuracy. It happens. Um, But they're a primarily rushing team. Mile high is very similar, but this is kind of a tough one. Um, being at St. Louis, that puts them at the ultimate advantage, but it depends on how the defense plays out for them. If they do end up... If Mile High can really hold up like they did with Kansas City, this actually could work out a little better uh, for them, but considering that when St. Louis saw Kansas City 28-13, you know... And 28-8, St. Louis was able to hand it to Kansas City. So, this is going to be a definite tough game for Mile High. St. Louis has the advantage because they're going to look at those games. And especially probably looking at the Houston game and seeing the weaknesses there. And kind of moving forward. Probably taking the victory there to represent the second division. Now, for Division 3, this one gets a little interesting in the sense of, you know, the breakdowns. We have Columbus Vanguards at Orlando Anarchy and Mississippi Panthers at Nevada Storm. Um, It's kind of a slight one-sided breakdown if you go by what the teams have done, but this is the beauty of kind of a playoff bracket. Usually, you know, there's always Cinderella stories. Columbus Vanguards kind of are the unusual ones in the sense of, you know, when you look at their three losses... It's Wisconsin Dragons, Music City Misfits, and St. Louis Slam. You know, it happens. It's not... If you're going to lose to teams, those are the teams to lose to, really. Especially St. Louis. If you're going to lose to them, lose to it. When you look at their stats, Columbus Vanguard sits at 14.09 in rushing, 2.42 in passing. So definitely a rushing team. And this is all games reported. Um, Just checking if they got... No, of course not. No playoff stats. Of course not. Um, be expecting too much. But, um, so definitely a rushing team. When you look at their passing game, theoretically, their leading quarterback, leading passer is number 13 with 191 yards. But she has seven interceptions. So that's not exactly, she's only 21% accurate. So it's obviously more for the options. Um, and she can take off if she needs, but she's only rushed for 56 yards. But the, the one you have to pay attention to is number 20. But it looks like number 20 actually can do kind of a wildcat. She is the second passer on this list. Um, 32 yards. She's 2 for 5 for 40 yards. Or 40%. Um, she does have a touchdown. To her credit, she's the only one with a passing touchdown for the Vanguard. So... But when you look at her running, she has 19 rushing yards. And she averages 11.2 per carry. So, this is definitely an interesting setup. 
Um, it's definitely very interesting because when you look at their opponent, Orlando Anarchy, Orlando's only loss is Tampa Bay at the end of the regular season. Um, maybe do I have stats? Nope. Oh, darn. So, when you look at their stats, they're kind of actually a passing team, primarily, but they do a lot on the rushing side. 1037 rushing, but 1732 in the passing. Number six for them is their primary. She's actually the only registered passer on here. She's 18, 118 for 197. It's a 59.9 percentage completion rate, which is pretty good. She has 30 touchdowns and three interceptions. That's a good ratio right there. Um, she is definitely the key to this. She is the third leading rusher on the team, so she is technically a mobile quarterback, if you want to be honest, considering that the leading rusher only has 379 yards, but she averages 14.6 in her rushing, so she definitely 20 runs off tackle a lot. Um, looks like 96 can run off tackle from here or there. And then the pocket breaks down. Number six can take off, and she averages 6.8 per run. She has five touchdowns as well. So here is where the vanguards have to pay attention. If their defense, if we go back through and the points allowed, vanguards have only allowed 94, whereas Orlando has allowed 101. That is pretty comparable considering that is very comparable um especially considering orlando has scored you know 33 to nothing 48 to 6 38 to 36 against tampa that's not a surprise 81 to nothing with jacksonville 36 26 against miami 78 to nothing against daytona 46 to 13 against miami that 12 to 20 loss to tampa and then taking derby city 43 to 8 and the first round of playoffs you know, Orlando just has to kind of play their game where Columbus has got to stay aware. They're really going to have to focus on the wall-up, the older-style defense, but their linebackers and their defensive secondary really, really have to be prepared for this game. But that does mean that the line also needs to be prepared as well. Um... Because this also could be an option play. You know, they could pass on you, pass on you, pass on you, and then fake the option of a handoff, and quarterback runs it for, you know, whatever she needs. So, this definitely is kind of a tougher uphill battle game for Columbus. It is at Orlando, so that does put a disadvantage, especially this time of year. Um, then again, Columbus is dealing with, especially Columbus, Indiana, is dealing with their own funky weather stuff, but they are going to Orlando, Florida. You know, this is not a fun time of year to be in Orlando or Texas, for that matter. But um, it's definitely, you know, this is Orlando's game to lose. They, they've shown that they could lose if they need, but I do see Orlando defending their championship, and I think them in St. Louis, excuse me, they're in a Division Three. my bad, St. Louis Division Two. but... Um, I don't. I wouldn't normally make such a prediction, but this is definitely the stats are looking in Orlando's favor. So, this is kind of Columbus has really got to do a lot here, but this is Orlando's game to lose. And then finally, going through the Mississippi Panthers and the Nevada Storm. This is a one-sided battle. 
looking at no statistics there maybe 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 nope oh darn no nobody has <laughs> postseason stats shocker there um don't have to base it entirely off of this um you know you're looking at Mississippi Panthers are kind of an enigma in the sense of being three and three in regular season beating Mississippi royalty at Mississippi royalty so you know that's that was a big deal um did kind of find out that was because the royalty were a little injured and yeah it is difficult to beat the same game same team three times in a row a lot of other teams can attest to that but you know with the five games that they have played in the regular season because granted the only Arkansas game was a forfeit so they only had five regular season games um Panthers are healthier than Nevada. Nevada has played a full roster here. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. When you break down the stats for Mississippi, they are kind of an even team. 886 rushing yards to 611 passing yards. Um, But they do a lot of points on defense. You know, 176 total offense scoring, but allowing 100, that's tough. Uh, The quarterback the only quarterback they have number three 611 passing yards she's 33 for 96 she's only 34 percent accurate seven touchdowns seven interceptions but she is also the leading rusher 708 yards so she's kind of a johnny manzel type she could pass if she needs to but actually she's more probably a kaepernick this looks almost like early even though Kaepernick was a little more accurate. So this is kind of more, more like a... Um, Russell Wilson was accurate. Kind of like early Cam Newton setup. Because Cam Newton didn't have some of the best stats. But definitely one of those can pass if they need to. But they will kill you on the run. So if they took down a very, very sturdy team like... Mississippi royalty in the playoffs not by a little convincingly going against a very sturdy team like Nevada is at a disadvantage the defense will should know what to do Nevada's total offense is 24 excuse me 2641 2404 of that is rushing and only 237 passing number 12 only passed for 217 yards 15 of 35, three touchdowns, three interceptions. But their leading rushers, number one and number 22, with 670 and 603 respectively. Um, Number 22 averages 70.7 per rush. So that tells me they do a lot of off-tackle stuff. Defensive ends have got to pay attention here. Outside linebackers have got to be aware of what's going on. Defensive coordinators, this is a nightmare in the sense of dealing with the outside. And if you ask anybody who played Nevada, including Cali, despite them winning, that outside is probably what killed them. And looking at 68 to 2, you know, 54 to nothing, 60 to nothing, 28 to nothing, 28 to 12. 44 to nothing, the 6 to 12 loss, 60 to nothing, and 36 to nothing. You know, Nevada has only allowed 26 points all season. They've got a strong defense. But is their defense strong enough to handle a very, very mobile quarterback? That's going to be the question.
So, granted, yes, Nevada has the advantage. It is in Nevada. But Mississippi is a dark horse here. I do see the Panthers taking this victory by a shocker. And this would be the upset of... I would say this would be the upset of the season. No doubt. This would be the true upset of the season. If they take out Nevada Storm, this would be a big deal. Um, I say Nevada can't take the victory. It's just everything is telling me, based on what I can guess... Ow. Based on what I can guess, and, you know, obviously, probably what the film is showing, but what I can guess out of this, and from just my knowledge of this sport... This Mississippi is an enigma here, and this has got to be something that Nevada should be worried about. Don't look at their little, oh, they've only played six games, or, you know, they've only played five regular season games. You look at how they've done them, you know, their losses. Mississippi Royalty, 26-30. That's how they, that, that was their loss. 20-22 loss when they took on them on May 11th. You know, 30-36 to 36 loss against Derby City. Obviously, offense is playing a bigger role here than a lot of people give them credit. Now, can their defense hold up well? We'll see. This probably will be... If this isn't a blowout, I see this being a high-scoring game. So, this is definitely going to be interesting. It's going to be who can outdo... Which offense can outdo each other. Granted, Nevada doesn't do a pick six. Mississippi's quarterback isn't exactly the most accurate, but what she makes up, what she doesn't, you know, what she makes up for interceptions, she's got touchdowns. She averages a lot of yards. 13.6 is a lot of yards. That is a fast, mobile, off-the-tackle quarterback. So, be prepared. That's going to be an O-line that is not to be fucked with. <laughs> Nevada, you know, number 22. It's one you got to pay attention to. 17.7 yards on average. She has 14 touchdowns. That's a player you got to pay attention to. So, Nevada has a chance, has the advantage, but Mississippi, I see being the upset here. I'm going to quickly look through all the social media to see what is going on. Um... As I said before, I'm going to try to do something pretty big for the championship. It's not out of because of loyalties. It's just more of they're the only ones that have stuff available. Um, you know, if the WNFC had their stats in detail and their video content easy to access, for me, I would do the exact same review that I could do now. Um... Not exactly the best I can do right now with it. You know, USWFL, if they would even give us that too, it would help. And, uh, that would be nice. But, going forward, we'll see how that plays out. And maybe we can figure out how to move forward for next season if everybody likes what I'm going to do on the. Th- for that championship weekend, how that plays out. You know, if they think it's cool, then we'll move on from there. Otherwise, not seeing really anything fire 
flowing through my timeline because the second presidential debate for Democrats is happening right now. <laughs> and I should be watching it, I know. But, um... Why? When I can catch on Twitter feed. But, you know, we've got the WNFC Championship, the Title IX Cup happening in Golden, Colorado at the Colorado School of Mines. We've got next round of playoffs. Technically, this will determine who will play in the Colorado School of Mines in two weeks. And, uh, and in two weeks, we will see the USWFL having their games. The Iron Woman Championship and the Division II Championship. I don't know which one's higher and which one, you know, I, I can't keep up. But um, obviously, we got a lot going forward, kind of even in this postseason. So, all that being said, you have been listening to Four Point Stance Women's Tackle Football on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and iHeartRadio. If you want to access pretty much almost everyone except iHeart and Mixcloud, you can go to anchor.fm slash the number 4PT Stance. If you want the direct URL to Apple, Google, and all the others, let me know, and I'll get to you. Trust me, I got them. I got them all saved. Um, Mixcloud, mixcloud.com, easy to find. You go in the search bar, put Four Point Stance or Coach Ash. It's easy to find from there. iHeartRadio is not exactly as easy to find, but you can go through the podcast location and in the search bar, put Four Point Stance. I'm on that list somewhere. Um, you would think by typing out Four Point Stance, it would show up. Right away, no, I'm somewhere in the middle because everything above it does not contain four point or stance somewhere in the word. But, you know, gotta love algorithms. When people pay more, they get higher spots. So, anyway, <laughs> you can join the, tw- the forum on Twitter at the number four underscore PT underscore stance. And you can follow my direct Twitter feed, W34VI1, Weevil. You can also go to Yelfi, the number 4 PT Stance, or W34VI1. And you can even join the Facebook page for my production company, Weevil Productions, W34VI1 Productions. And as a reminder, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline available 24-7 no matter what, 1-800-273-8255. And the Trans Lifeline also available Anytime you need them, 877-565-8860.